Let's invite our speaker for this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have sent your spirit to be with us until the time that we reunite with you. We want to thank you that you speak to us and you speak to us in English, in our language, in our understanding, in our, at our level, and, and you give us your will in clear terms. Thank you, Father God, for your mercy, which is your most outward appropriation of your character, of your love for us. And that's what we needed the most, oh God. Thank you for the beautiful worship that we have just witnessed. And Father, as we enter into your word, give us insight. Open our eyes. If our heart is calloused, break through. If our ears are waxed, cleanse our ears that we would hear you. You know us. You know what we're going through. You know the things that make us hard towards your word, your voice, your truth. Melt us in your, in, in your presence, I pray. Get through to all of us, no matter where we are at in that journey towards you or away from you. Get through to us, I pray. I trust you, Lord, that you'll do that. And I trust that you'll use your messenger just enough to be a voice in the process. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in this amazing series called The Mercy, Miracle of Mercy. And next week is our last week. We will be in the last sermon for the Mercy series. There are eight in all, but I'm going to do five or something like that. And on the 11th of June, we will stop and we will celebrate the stories that you write on this paper and the testimonies that you will share right there. And we will also present all the small groups, the Mercy projects <coughs> that they did. We'll show a few PowerPoints and photographs in our church, both here and in Noida, some things would have been gotten done by that point, and we want to present it that those are the mercy projects we did. And we are not a people who just talk about it. We want to do it. We want to get out there, and we want to uh, take action on what God calls on us to do. So that's what we're going to do on the 11th of June. So next week, 4th of June, is our last in this series, and then, of course, uh, we wrap up on 11th of June. <laughs> We all know that there are five purposes that God has called on, our, on us for our lives. God has defined five purposes for us. Number one is to know Him and to love Him. To know Him and to love Him. We call that worship. The second one is to belong to His family. We call that fellowship. The third one is to grow like Christ, to become like Christ, to behave like Christ. We call that discipleship. Third, fourth one is to serve like Christ, to Love your neighbor as yourself, etc., etc. We call that ministry. And the last one is to share the good news or share Christ with others. We call that mission. But mercy is a way, is one of the ways to fulfill all five purposes. What am I saying here? I'm saying when you're merciful, when you're merciful, every single one of these areas gets covered. Every one of these areas. You worship, you show mercy. When you're discipling, you show mercy. When you're being a disciple, you show mercy. When you're evangelizing or when you're sharing the, the mission of, of, of God in your life, when you're serving, you're showing mercy. Mercy is one of the ways. So today, we're talking about, the title for today is Being an Agent of Mercy in the World. Being an Agent of Mercy in the World. Are you all with me so far? Anything distracting you? Anything taking you away? Just pray that God gives you concentration. Just Lift out of that. Enter his presence. Just listen to his voice. I'm sure it's going to do something powerful for you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, You will be my witnesses. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, You will be my witnesses. Wherever you go in the world, you will be my witnesses. Now a witness is not a, proper, a proponent or a propagator of a religion or a philosophy or an ideology. He's not. A witness is found in court. A witness stands there and says, I saw this, then what happened, and then he said, and then you will not believe what happened. And he just tells the whole story. Yeah? A witness simply says what he saw. He doesn't agree with anything. He's not going to tell the judge anything. He's not going to tell the jury what to believe and what not to believe. He's going to simply tell him what he saw. And he says, God says, the Bible says, I want you to be my witnesses all over the world. So what on earth are we witnessing about? What are we witnesses to? The answer is, we're witnesses to the mercy of God. You just saw God's mercy at work 
and you're just talking about it. You're telling about it. You're illustrating it. You're demonstrating it. You're showing it. You're talking about it. But where has He shown His mercy? In your life. So whatever He's done in your life is a credible witness. You can't tell about what somebody else has done. You can't tell about the mercy in someone else's life or some other country or some other church. You can only talk about you. So you are the best mercy witness on you. Because nobody else knows how much you have been forgiven. How much you have been cleansed. How much you have been healed. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? The thing that makes you a powerful witness is you were there. You were there. Because that's the first question they ask you. Were you there? No, I was not there. Then why? No, no, no. We're not going to listen to you. You get that? You get that? You are the best witness and nobody else can replace your witness. Some of you are thinking, oh, I don't have to talk because I'm shy. Because we're all shy apparently. But I'm shy. I don't like to I don't like to talk. I don't like to sound all religious and everything. So let it leave it to the others. You leave it to the others, they're going to tell their story. They're going to tell of God's mercy in their life. And the mercy in your life, which God has amply, amply supplied, is never going to get told about. Your story is never going to get covered. Your witness is your story. Your witness is your mercy project. What God has done in your life. And God wants that you are witnesses all over the world. What does that mean? That you are an agent. We have all these agents all over the world. All over the world who are witnesses of the mercy of God. God wants his mercy known everywhere. And you and I are those witnesses. When we were kids, we always dreamt of being secret agents. You know? And I think many of us are secret agents. Nobody knows <laughs> <laughs> that we are agents of God's mercy. It's not a secret. Let's come out a little bit. Alright. In a mean world, in a mean world, our greatest witness is showing mercy. Is it a tough world out there? Huh? Is it a tough city? Who likes Delhi? Huh? Who likes Delhi? Yeah. Who likes Delhi? I love Delhi. We, we guys who love Delhi are the ones that everybody else hates. <laughs> so rude, they can't drive properly. They're so cold, they're so unwelcoming. Nobody likes Delhi. And it takes about three months for it to grow on you. And then after three months, then you can't leave Delhi, of course. That's, that's the way it is. But in a world that is mean, in a world that is self-centered, in a world that is constantly looking after its own interests, in a world that puts you down and puts themselves up, where everybody else is stepping on everybody else, being merciful is radical. It's radical and it is a radical witness. In a mean world, our greatest witness is what? Showing mercy. I want it to sink in. I want it to sink in. If I talk too much, it won't sink in. Luke chapter 6 verse 36. Show mercy to others. Does it talk about it? It says, show mercy. Show mercy to others just as your father has shown you mercy. Just as your father shows mercy to you. So today, we're going to talk about the principles of mercy and the places of mercy. The principles of mercy, why? And the places, how, where? Where do you show mercy? Are you up for it? You got the notes? Anybody need a pen? Because you've got notes and no pen, that kind of doesn't work. So if you need a pen, just raise your hand. I have people who will run to you. They are, they are pen people. <laughs> there you go. They're right behind you. Alright, number one, number one, how can I be more merciful? Do you want to be? Do you want to be? If anybody over here is thinking there's nobody more merciful than me, I would like you to get up and leave. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're in the wrong place. All of us need to be more merciful. Ready? Uh, we got our pens, we got our notes. Number one, start looking and listening for people's needs. Start looking and listening for people's needs. Mercy begins with awareness, with paying attention, with noticing. And you notice with your eyes, you're looking, you, you pay attention. You look, you look, you use your eyes. Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 says, look out for one another's interests. Look at those two words, circle them, circle them if you can. Look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. Look out. You know, the two times when we don't see something, 
two types. One is when we're going too fast. That's when we, we don't see it. And the second time is it's not significant to us. It doesn't mean anything to us. That's when we don't notice it. Should I go over that again? You're driving too fast. I didn't see it. Or it's not important to me. I didn't notice it. Because if it's important to me, I will notice it. Mercy begins with seeing. Mercy begins with eyes. He says, look out. And if you're not paying attention, you're not looking, then you're going to miss it. And one of the reasons we don't look is because we're too busy. We're just too busy. Our minds are so occupied. Our thoughts are so occupied that we just don't have the time and the framework and the margin to think or look and see anybody else's needs, anybody else's things around us. But mercy begins with looking. When you look at something, you're giving it your full attention. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. And when you're giving something your full attention, it is the greatest act of love. Boys are not so big on this. When you, have, when you have a son, boys are like, if you're not looking at your son and talking to him, he's fine. He kind of like figures it out. But daughters, they're far, they're far more sensitive to this whole relational thing. And when they want their father's attention, they'll grab his face and you know, they'll look at me. Daddy, look at me. Look at me. Women are a lot more, uh, they, they want that engagement. Some fathers all around the world, similar song they sing. They're like, I've given them a roof over their head. I've given all their need. I've met all their needs, I've given them pocket money, every toy possible I've made that, still it's not enough for my family, for my wife. The truth of the matter is that they want you, they want your attention. Because when you give your attention, you're looking and you're listening. At that time, you're giving time. You're giving time. And that time, when you're giving time, is your greatest act of love. Why? Because you can get everything else back, but you can't get time back. If I give you 100 rupees, I can get 100 rupees back. If I give you my car, I can get another car. If I gave you resources, and I gave you a house, and I gave you a legacy, and I gave you uh, inheritance, I can get all of that back. Whatever else in my life I give you, I can get that back. But when I give you time, it's gone forever. So when I give you my time, I'm giving you my life. When I give you my life, I'm really giving you love. That's the real greatest act of love. And when we talk about relationships, when we talk about mercy, mercy requires attention. You look at people. That means your life has got to change from being self-centered and self-absorbed to actually look around and say, does anybody need me? Is there anything right now around me that I could meet? A heart, a desire to be like Christ means you move out of being constantly maintaining yourself, looking after yourself, caring for yourself, uh, celebrating yourself, worshipping yourself, and you move to a place where you are actually, you actually care about something else, something else around you. And that's love. Are you getting the, 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 the it's very, very easy to be self-centered. It's not hard to be self-centered. When you're self-centered, all you've got to think about is yourself. But when you are other-centered, what you are not supposed to think about is yourself. You thought thinking about others is hard? No, 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 no. That's not the hard part. Not thinking about yourself is the hard part. Because we have grown up, we are innately, innately self-centered. Are you with me so far? Let's move on. Look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. And Mark chapter 10 verse 21 says, Jesus, he's talking to one of the guys on the side of the street, he was not uh, well, I think he was, a, uh, I think he was a, a lame person. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Look at me, please. Jesus looked at him and loved him. How do you know? Mark, Mark, how do you know he loved him? Did he hug him? No. Did he give him flowers? No. Did he give him two, two million rupees? No. How you know he loved him? He looked at him and he loved him. Where does that come from? It was the attention. 
It was the attention. It was the time and attention in the midst of everything that Jesus could have been worried about. He could have been occupied with his ministry, his national day, his, his mission from heaven. He stopped, looked at him, and that's love. That's love. Number one. What's number one? Loudly? Yes. I trust you. Okay, number two. Number two. Don't be offended by their sin. Don't be offended by their sin. Grace is messy. It is unconditional love. It is unconditional love. And a life that involves hanging out with people who are messed up, who are hurting, who are bruised, who are in need, is not a normal life. It's not a normal life. You may say, oh yeah, I'm surrounded with those people. But to intentionally get involved is not a normal life. The second one is do not be offended by their sins. You're saying, Pastor Jerry, how is that possible? How can you not be offended by their sin? Isn't that kind of like a take on your holiness? That you're okay with it? No. You don't have to be okay with it. But don't be offended. When you're offended, it's a selfish thing. You're saying, it, I'm offended. I can't handle you. I can't deal with you. I can't work with you. I can't be seen with you. I, 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 I. Are you getting it? Don't be offended by their sin. The thing is, if I, I, I can't look out for people when I'm looking down on people. I can't look out for people when I'm looking down on people. Jude chapter 1 verse 22, 23. Show mercy, show mercy to those whose faith, underline this, faith is wavering. Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. How are you with that? How are you with people who are not okay with your faith? Who are not okay with their own faith? Who are struggling in their faith? Who are not able to trust God? Or even worse, during a period of them struggling with their faith, or they're weak in their faith, or they're cold in their faith, they make dumb decisions. When people are far from God, they do the stupidest things, the dumbest things, the silliest things, the wickedest things. And when they're wavering in their faith, they're walking away from God, or they're running from God, or they're deliberately, you know, rebelling against God. They're wavering in their faith. How are you, how are you with that? How am I with that? And the Bible says, show mercy. <laughs> it's easy to show mercy to a, to a homeless street kid. Easy. That's not a challenge. When somebody walks into your life, a screwed up life, messed up, they're, going, they're breaking all the rules that are so dear to you. Mm -hmm. It's harder when it's a family member. And they come home with a habit, or they come home with a relationship, and you're like, whoa. What's happening in their life? They're wavering in their faith. Now what should you and I do with people who are wavering in their faith? What does the Bible want us to do with people who are wavering in their faith? Show mercy. Some of you are getting it. You know this is, this is not what we signed up for. This is, this is the real deal here. This is not let's go to heaven and play harps. This is, this is not... This is not God loves all the children, black, yellow, green, and blue. This is bigger than that. This actually means I need to get over myself. This is tough. Don't be offended by their sins. Jesus never pointed to any one group of people and said, that group is okay, you don't, you don't have to forgive them. That group is okay. That, when, when, when someone is like this or they're struggling with this sin, ah, ah, nah, that, that's it, that, this, is, this is the limit. There is no people, no group, no lifestyle that God allows for us to not have mercy on. So here it says, show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. There are still others to whom you need to show mercy. But, circle the but, but be careful that you are not, ah, okay, there is a but, there is a but. 
But be careful that you are not contaminated with their sin. So we are not saying contextualize, we are not saying drop the ball, we are not saying go all the way where you say everything's okay. When you say everything's okay, you are telling them, I'm also going to do whatever I want and don't dare you judge me. That's technically what you're saying indirectly. But Jesus is sitting with sinners, with tax collectors, he's sitting with people that they absolutely abhor, the other religious people absolutely abhor, and he was not touched, contaminated by their actions. In fact, he brought their love and mercy, his love and mercy to them. Are you with me? 1 Peter 4 verse 8, most importantly, love each other deeply. Most importantly, love each other deeply. Love has a way, read this, love has a way of not looking at others' sins. Ooh. Love has a way of not looking at others' sins. I've seen this in families. In families. I've seen this when moms or dads or uh, people, you know, at the church or whatever, we are ready to judge everybody else and their children. Oh, yeah. Oh, have you seen them? Have you seen the way they're gone? Have you seen their children? Have you seen the way they dress? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen everything. And then when it happens in their own home, oh, then they add a new book to the Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's when the post-its come out. That's when they start adding. Uh, and then suddenly they see all the rules and regulations and the laws that they upheld, they see it in a different light. <laughs> suddenly there's margin for mercy. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Yes, mercy, but for all. Love has a way of not... So we got to not look at some things and we got to look at some things. What do you look out for? The other interests of others. What do you look out for? The needs of others. What do you not look at? Their sin. Because when broken people, hurting people, and messed up people, people wavering in their faith are going to come. They're going to come with the consequences of all those things. The consequences of the brokenness. The consequences of the wavering in their faith. The consequences of the messed up mind. Are you with me? You can't expect them to be messed up in their mind and not do something about it. They are going to come stinking. They are going to come broken. And my college professor used to say, if you don't like the smell of sheep, don't be a shepherd. If you don't like the smell of sheep, don't be a shepherd. If you're going to work with sheep, they're going to stink. And you've got to work with people's hurts and pains. And God wants us to bear his heart. To bear his heart. So that, not that we're okay with what they do, but we can stand the smell. If you know what I mean. Love has a way of not looking at others. So when it says, why are you okay with your family member and suddenly you have a lot of margin for mercy and with them, you don't have any margin for mercy? The answer is love. You love your own. You love your own. And God wants the church to act like a family where so the moment you're in the family, we love our own. Whereas a church oftentimes is the body of Christ, is the family, is the community where we shoot our own. Mercy begins. Seen in the family. We are to look out for people's interests, but not look out, not look at their sin. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Sounds very tolerant, doesn't it? Be patient with others, making allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because of your Say it loudly. Say it like you mean it. Because of your... That's the motivating. I am compelled. Paul says, your love, the love of Christ compels me. Compels me. Why will we be a merciful community? Why will we show mercy? Why will we demonstrate mercy? Because of love. Love has to drive us. Love has to uh, motivate us. Because we are not called to call the holy together, the perfect together, and start a club. We are called to minister to the broken, to the hurting, to the abused. We are called to minister to the hurt. Are you with me? Come, welcome. Welcome. I was waiting for you. That's why I kept the best part till the end. Are you with me? What was I saying? Don't say I kept the best part at the end. <laughs> they're going to come in broken. They're going to come in hurting. They're going to come in bruised. When they come in, they are first to belong to the family and then behave like the father. Get it? Get it? 
Get it? First the baby is born into the family. And the baby is born in the family. And the baby is six months old. You don't hold the baby accountable for the honor of the family. Use your fault because of you. The whole family is not. Because of you now. Get up. But when the kid is 21, you hold the kid accountable. And between six months and 21, there is a process of helping the child grow. There is a process. First you begin fellowship, belonging. Then you behave. Then you believe. And you get stronger in your faith. Then you serve. You get it? Are you getting it? There's, there's a process. We expect overnight radical change. It hasn't even happened in our lives like that. When did we become overnight, holy overnight? So don't expect, here's the principle, write it down. Don't expect believers to act like believers until they are. Don't expect unbelievers to act like believers until they are. It is a process. There are circles of commitment. You're going to grow, which means, which means as people walk in, they're not going to give up their habits so easily. They're not going to give up their relationships they're stuck in so easily. They're not going to give up what they don't, you know, what they've been struggling with so easily. They are going to bring their mess. I'm going to say that again until it hurts. They're going to bring their mess with them. Are you ready to deal with that? Let me tell you a secret. When we as a family are ready to deal with adopting children that come in broken, messed up, abused, hurting people in this world, in a mean world, we are ready to show mercy. There will not be an empty chair at the dining table, if you know what I mean. God will fill his home. That's his desire. Go call them. Call them. They don't want to come. Go call others. Let my house not be empty. Let the banquet table not be empty. Call them, call them. For I desire mercy. For I desire mercy. Number three. Choose my words carefully. Choose my words carefully. Mercy puts a monitor on my mouth. What does mercy do? It puts a monitor on my mouth mouth. Mercy is in your mouth. We started with eyes, we started with ears, and we came to the mouth. All three are in your head. <laughs> Mercy is in your head. It all sits right here. You start by looking, then you listen, that's compassion, and then you speak mercifully. You just get started here. Mercy is right here. Mercy puts Colossians chapter 4 verse 6. When you talk, not if you talk, because that's not given. When you talk, you should, how often? Ah. Right there, 24-7. Oh, like that, like there's that shop in Vasanthi, right? 24-12. <laughs> People are going to be scratching their <laughs> When you talk, you should always be kind and pleasant. So, that's your purpose clause. So, you will be able to answer everyone in the way. In the way that you should. That's what gets screwed up. Let me explain. Let me explain. First, you finish writing. I don't know what thesis you're writing. Are you done? Yeah? Okay. Shorthand and all. So, you're easily offended? You don't like the way they spoke to you? Did you see how she was looking at me when she spoke? They didn't even stand up when I came. Didn't even this, didn't even that. Okay, you got your ten laws. Moses must have given them to you. <laughs> and in that moment, you are offended. Now that you're offended, now that you're offended, it has hurt some part, some vague internal part of you. And now because of that, your defenses are up and your mercy is down. Because they don't deserve it, by the way. And now when it's time for you to speak, it's not going to come out the way it should. We're not saying that what you're saying is wrong. We're saying that by the time it comes out, it's going to come out all wrong. Why? Because you were offended. You were offended. In that moment that you're offended, everything goes for a six, let me tell you. 
Everything. That's, that's the moment you, because you are not in control of your own ego, because you don't have God's mercy abiding, residing, living in you, that's what happens. And then it go, it's going to eventually come out through your words. You're going to be mean. You're going to be sarcastic. You're going to be unloving with your words. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Do not say harmful things. Do not. Do not say harmful things. But say what people need. Words that will help them become stronger. Do you know people whose words weaken you? Defend, uh, they, def they break you? They defeat you? Do you know words that tear you apart? There are husbands and wives who leave each other in the morning to go to work torn, broken. It takes them four or five hours to recover from those few words that were said to each other. I'm not saying everybody's like that, but you know how hurtful that can be. Or you're coming back from school, recovering from the words, from college, from work, recovering from the words of your colleagues, of your... When you talk, you should always be kind and pleasant so that you will be able to answer. Do not say harmful things, but say what people need, words that will help others become strong. Then what you say will do good to those who listen to you. So are your words building people up or are they tearing them down? If you're a merciful person, your, your words will build people up. Uh, who has the time to stop and think about everything on this spot? Yeah, a merciful person does. Who has the time to think about what they are feeling and what a merciful person does? Where do you get so much mercy from? From God. You're not the one. You're not the res reservoir of mercy. You go get it from God. You get it from God. That's why you need wisdom. You need wisdom. You ask James chapter 3 verse 17. The wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving, gentle at all times. There's a wisdom that comes to you. Are you a boss? Are you running a company? Are you running a restaurant? Are you running an office? Are you running a, a school? As you are dealing with people, there's a wisdom that comes to you. And allows you to choose the words and the tone so that you may deliver. So that when you have spoken, it is good for them. All that process is automatic, by the way. It is spiritual. It is supernatural. Because you have a heart of mercy. That's all you've got to have. A heart of mercy. That's all you've got to do. You don't have to do all these things. It will naturally flow because you have a heart of mercy. Choose my words carefully. So wisdom... That comes from heaven is first of all peace of gentle wisdom is full of mercy. Number four, number four, value saving people over keeping rules. Ooh. Value saving people over keeping rules. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 8, Jesus defended his disciples in the showbread that they ate because they were hungry. They ate some of the grain. Jesus held the law because the law is the will of God. But Jesus held customs and traditions loosely. Are you with me? Loosely. Why? Because he valued people over customs and traditions. So when it comes to people, people's feelings, people's, people's needs, customs and traditions, he, he compromised on them. He says, you, you Pharisees are careful to tie 10%. Oh, wow. Everything of your income, you tie 10%. That's great. But then you ignore the important matters of God's law. What is that? Justice, showing mercy, and faith. Yes, you should tithe. That's one thing you got right, Talia. But you're missing the most important things, which is justice, which is showing mercy. So you can have a very legal person, you can have a legally right person, you can have a very pious and a religious and a, and a, a person who keeps all the customs and traditions and be merciless. You can be merciless. You can lack mercy in your life, in your, in your words, in your actions. So that's, that's the value of saving people above keeping the rules. Let's look at some of the places where that implements itself, where it executes itself. Places to be an agent of mercy. Number one, number one, where can I be more merciful? In what situations? For whom? Number one, look for people in a crisis. Look for people in a crisis and listen to them. And listen to them. Look for people in a crisis and listen to them. 
Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, carry whose burdens? That's kind of funny. I thought everyone should carry their own baggage. That's what we were taught in school. Everybody carry your own bags. In camp, I was very angry with the leadership because they made us carry our bags and the girls' bags. I'm like, I don't think that's justice. They should carry their own bags, especially if they decided to bring all their stuff. <laughs> carry each other's burdens. Why? Why? Always ask why. Always question God. <laughs> you never thought I'd say that. Eh? In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. There's the law of Moses. And there's the law of Christ. That's the law of Christ. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You will naturally become a, a lawful person because you are operating out of love, which is a greater, greater operating software than the previous one. Carry each other's burdens. Number one, look for people in crisis. Are they going through a crisis? Are people struggling with something? You could see the look on their face. You could feel it. You know what a crisis is. You've been through a crisis. You know what it's like when people are... Are you okay? Is, do you want to... Shall we talk? They're not going to talk. They're not going to... They're not going to... You don't say that. I asked them. I asked. They didn't tell them what I'm supposed to do. No, that, that's not merciful. So you want to have a cup of co coffee? is amazing. Coffee, chai is amazing. No matter what you do, one chai will make you spill the beans. <laughs> Necessary coffee and beans, but one coffee, one. Okay, okay, that was a free one. But get to a place where they are willing to open up. What are the places where they're willing to open up? Over a table of food. There is no northeast, north, southeast, west, middle, Maharashtra, no, nothing. At the table, we are all Indians. Just get the chicken curry and both hands. <laughs> Go the extra mile to actually find out that there is a crisis and just listen. God is saying you don't have to do anything about it. If you listen, I will act. That's what God is saying. Because you are the hands and the ears, you are the hands, the heart, and the feet of God. You, the body of Christ. You, plural. Look for people in a crisis and listen to them. Number two, look for people with unmet needs and help them. Look for people with unmet needs and help them. Romans chapter 15 verse 2 and 3, this is the message version, so you may not recognize it right away. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us. That means every one of us needs to be selfless. We need to be looking at other people. We should pick up needs. Pick up needs. Look at it. See a need. See a possibility, see an opening, vision, envision a meeting of needs. Ask yourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's struggles. But he waded right in and wanted to help out. What do you do when you see a need? What do you do about it? i got a story for you. i got Noel Chavon this morning. And he's going to tell you in a simple, his way, in his season of life. Come on. This season of life is going to tell you what he did about the little that he saw. And as you listen to his story, let God speak to you about your own life. Come on. Have a seat. When I was in class 10, uh, me and my parents, we, we went back to our hometown in Samjuram that's there in Naglin. So when we went there, we visited the school that the church itself runs. Uh, See, I've seen this church a lot of times, but it was probably that day when I've heard about the disparity between people. I've heard about the disparity that society has the rich and the poor. And I've seen it, I've heard about it, people talk about it, but you don't exactly realize it until you see it hard face front in front of you. And probably for, I don't know the, which number of times I've visited this place. So finally, this one day in class 10, when we went back home, my mom, uh, and me and my dad, we came over there. And I saw the school is running and my dad and they were talking to the pastor that helps with the school and they were talking. And then I saw children that they still didn't go to school and they were telling to the pastor like, the 
headmaster was telling us that these children that they can't, they don't go to school because they can't afford the fees. I asked my mom what the fees were. My mom said it's 300 rupees a month. It blew my mind. 300 rupees a month. See, I know the people that hang around. I know how extravagant we are. I, I know how extravagant, extravagant each one of us are. Like 300 rupees in Delhi does not, it has such a little value. A cup of coffee, 300 bucks. You go out, you get a book that you can also download for free, of course. Like there's some of us who do that, but that is also for 300 bucks. It blew my mind. Like, so that brought about a perspective change. Like it, it, an entire paradigm shift, the way I look at things completely changed. It, it became more of the fact that if you buy a shirt of 500 bucks, it becomes like you, you took, look at the other picture and you see that this same shirt that you could buy, which will last you, pro you'll probably wear three or four times, is going to sponsor another child's education for a month. One solid month. Anyway, then I came back home uh, in Delhi. Then it bothered me for a while. And then I finally, uh, I approached my mom and I told her that, oh, what if we just uh, act like a medium, an agent, a dollar, from one end to the other, and tell people what the scenario is back home, and if we can channel in the money. My mom was very excited, but being a mother, she said, not right now, you're in your 10th couple of years, get into a good college, and then we'll think about it. You see, like, this was one very important part of my life, like, one of the most important part of my life, because you hear about things, you realize things, you see how the scenario is, but it doesn't hit you maybe until God plans it that it will hit you so and so then when you're mentally prepared for it. So, when it hit me, I felt it was like a, see, I see how the scenario is left and right. So what it became, like, I felt a kind of responsibility. I might be selfish in thinking so, but I felt like I, I felt a sense of responsibility that I should do something about it. So I approached, I, what I thought was, there are a lot of people back home who want to study, who can be better. I'm not expecting uh, star stories everywhere, but if we can give them the tools, the basic the tools, the thing that they, that they can help themselves, to at least find a vocation, a training that they can, even if they have a 10th and 12th certificate, that will mean so much more than an incomplete education. I, I don't want to say much, but at the end of the day, what I would like you to realize is one cup of coffee that you have today is good sponsor on this child's solid month for education for a month. When God touches your, your heart and you've seen something, what do you do about it? What are you going to do about it? This is what they did. What are you going to do? Where is God showing you something that you can move on? Number two, look for people with unmet needs. Number three, number three, look for people who are grieving, who are grieving and comfort them. A lot of what you do for other people is just listening. It's just listening. It's just being there for them. But for that, you have to have the time. Isn't that true? For that, you have to have the time. And mercy and having time. Look at me. I'm going to say something that I really want you to work through. Being a merciful person and having the time for people You can't live a life and say, I have no time for anybody, and still say that you're a person of mercy, that you have a merciful heart. Look for people who are grieving and comfort them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, uh, God comforts us in our troubles. So he trusts you to go through difficult times. He puts you through difficult times. He allows difficult times in your life so that he can unload a a truckload of comfort on you so that when you are serving others you will have the comfort to give to them now when my kid when my son has a need and there are three other boys who have a need if they have a need I might help them a little bit but if my son wants something how will I give him in what way will I give him generously openly lovingly so when my son needs money or needs something i'm going to give him far more in greater abundance than i would give others who i'm just meeting a need 
When you need comfort, when you go through difficult times, God's all there for you. He gives you comfort more than you've ever imagined. And that is the comfort with which you, but you and I want to live a life free of comfort. Oh, sorry, free of, of troubles. Free of difficult times. You don't want anything to go through, go wrong in your life. You don't want any opposition or, diff or hard times or, or ups and downs. You want everything to be perfectly fine. And God gives you that sometimes and you never get to taste God's comfort. He doesn't get to be with you and give you the comfort with which you can give to others. Luke chapter uh, uh, one, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4. Number 4. Look for people needing friends and showing and show them hospitality. Look for people needing friends and show hospitality. You are still struggling with the three and a half friends you just got. It's hard enough dealing with the ones you've got. But in this world, in a mean world and a lonely world, people need friends. People need friends. They need someone to be hospitable. Hospitable is hospitality is not chai. It's not chai. It's the conversation over chai. Are you with me? It's the conversation over chai. Today, people need friendships and hospitality more than ever before. So when you walk through that door, are we a community that welcomes you? Are we a community that you want to belong to? You want the, these people love me no matter what I'm like. Because three out of four people are awkward. Socially awkward. Three out of four people are quiet, introverts. I just realized that they're not like me. I'm the one, hey, how are you? I made, I made more friends with more people than there are in the room. <laughs> and I've come to realize, no, it's not. I'm, that, that's not the vast majority. Most people are shy. Most people are reticent. Most people are slow to catching up, making friends, opening up their lives. And we've got to be hospitable. Look for people needing friends and show hospitality. If they're unpopular or they're socially, go out there. Romans chapter 12, 13 says, look for opportunities to be hospitable. Matthew chapter 25, 34 onwards says, I was alone and you welcomed me and you showed me hospitality. Number five, look for people who need a second chance. Look for people who need a second chance. These are the people who have blown it. They have messed up. They're coming back to the body of Christ saying, is this place where I can find mercy? Is this the place where I can find a fresh start, a second chance? 2 Corinthians 2, 7 says, when people sin, you should forgive and Read it. You should forgive and comfort them. <laughs> our choice, our reference is, yes, we forgive you, but you know, just come on, you know. And we bring it back to their notice, bring it back to their remembrance. It says comfort them. Comfort them. So they won't give up in... Please look at that line. I know you're tired, but please look at that line. When people sin... Not if people sin. When people sin, you should forgive and comfort them. Why? So they won't give up in despair. Many, many believers have fallen away. They fell in some sin, but they never came back. You know why? We think because they wanted to keep sinning and they wanted to just live their own life. They're just rebelling against God. No. When they sinned, there was no forgiveness and there was no comfort. And they gave up in despair. What a difference it makes when we decide to be merciful. Number six, look for people who are rude and be kind to them. Ooh. Oh, this is the big one. This is the big one. Find a person who's rude. Can you find one? Yeah, you do any, any here in the city? Rude people in your family, in, the, in your workplace? Look for people who are rude and be kind to them. Nothing like you, can't, you can blow a rude person's mind by being kind to them in, in, in return. Don't repay evil for evil. Never retaliate when people insult you or say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Don't get all holy and all that and start pronouncing blessing on them. That's not what we mean here. That is what God wants you to do. He will bless you for it. He will bless you for it. How do we treat people? Matthew chapter 25 gives us a whole deal on that. Here's the bottom line as I close. One day, God is going to reward you for the actions of mercy in your life. One day, God is going to reward you for the actions of mercy in your life. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. God will say it, not forget. 
God will not forget the work you've done and the love you've shown him by caring, the love you've shown him by caring for and helping others. I grew up in a church, I grew up in a background where I was told that when we go to heaven, there's going to be a big screen and your whole life, every stinking detail of your whole life, and I was only six years old at the time, is going to be up on that screen and everyone's going to see it and God and, and, and demons and angels. I didn't know they were all showing up for my graduation. They're going to see it and our sins will be in front of everybody. But if you turn to Jesus and ask him to come into your life, he won't. So, that's wrong, by the way. That's wrong. Nowhere in the Bible, from Genesis to Maps, does it say, your sins will be put up there. It does not say that. It does not say that. What the Bible says is, God has forgotten. He took the file, he shredded it, and he wiped it off the record. There is no record of your sin at all. At all. At all. Nowhere. At all. Not the stinking details, those memories that you live with. There is nothing that can, anyone can pick up and put on any screen. But I want to teach you a new thing today. I want to tell you a new thing today. God will not remember your sins, but He will not forget. So there will be a white screen. And there will be a PowerPoint presentation and God is going to show off to the whole of heaven the wonderful, merciful acts that you did. So there will be an accounting. And God is going to reward you. First, he's going to show a PowerPoint presentation of the mercy in your life and he's going to reward you act by act by act. That's what the Bible teaches here. That's what the Bible. God will not forget the work you have done and the love you've shown him by caring for and helping others. God wants you to be an agent of mercy in this world. Eyes, you look. Ears, listen with compassion. And mouth, you speak. This is not about you. This is for others. But it starts with the heart of mercy. I put Noel Chawang up here because I wanted you to hear that there are real people with real hearts for mercy. And what do you need to do to act on it? Act on your mercy. Father God, thank you. Thank you. For what you have taught us this morning. Bless our day. Bless this week. Meet us at our point of need. In Jesus' name I pray.